Greetings. Instagram, Facebook. I have half of a face on Instagram. No, you don't need to move. I need to move. I need to act like I like you. Well, that <laughs> you would be a tremendous actress. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to start off by saying that uh, there's probably... I'm going to very, very seriously watch the clock here to make sure we don't go too far over because yeah. I feel like this is a potential one yeah, that we... Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot to talk about here, and I feel like it's it's going to be easy to get into some questions and, and deeper discussions, so I, I definitely want to make sure that we, at least here at the start, before we go off on something, uh, focus on the passage that we... Yeah. Uh, talked about on Sunday. And there will be issues that come up that we can't fully right. cover. Right. I mean, we're talking about a half an hour podcast, and there there are so many things written on uh, subjects like fear, anxiety, finding peace, and so on, um, that, you know, we obviously we can't cover that all here. I also think there are a lot of things written that are not helpful, mm-hmm. and so we want to be helpful in that, um, we want to move beyond the self-help psychotherapy kind of mentality that we far too often fall into as Christians. Um, and we move away from the gospel and away from the, the supernatural reality um, that God is active in our lives. And we fall into this, the how-to, you know, how do I wrap my hands around it and live mm-hmm. my best life mm-hmm. now? That's not, that's not helpful. And we've been sold a bill of goods in thinking that it is. So we want to we want to do exactly what we talk about as our our tag here is, you know, connect the reality of God to the realities of life. And the realities of life can be ugly and dark and hard, and and it's a scary world. And we're gonna, we're going to face opposition. And as Christians, we're especially going to face opposition for our faith. And we live in a world that is increasingly immoral. We recognize that it's hard not to recognize that. I was just hearing. Uh, some articles uh, that were published in different publications uh, within a week of one another, talking about you know just this 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 barrage now. It's 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 an avalanche of dominoes falling in this moral revolution that we've been facing. Not new, but but it's been accelerating, mm-hmm. and so now we're we're moving toward a normalization of polygamy and polyamory and all kinds of different things that are that are going on. The the president of the European Council, which is the governing body of the European Union, uh, actually promoting uh, this uh, moral revolutionary agenda, that that's what the European Union wants. That's what we want to see happen. And you can almost smell the end times prophecies coming out through these things. Well, that leads a lot of Christians into you know conspiracy theories, freaking out with fear and, and panic and paranoia and despair and hopelessness and we don't we don't want to fall into that that's not biblical and and we want to be expressly biblical we want to make sure that that whatever we're thinking as christ followers is coming from god's word so that's kind of i think why god moved luke to include this particular story of what god says to paul which you know on first reading to me doesn't even make a lot of sense until you start to look a little more at the context of what's happening and why God is is including this in the scriptures. Because otherwise, it's just another story of what's happening. Great, we move on. But there's something God has for us here in it. And ultimately, it comes down to, are we going to stand on his promises, on his word, or on our own feelings and perceptions? Okay. We had a comment on Facebook that sounds a little low, so I'm not sure why that is, but we'll try to... Is that connected to Facebook, though? 
Oh, to Facebook? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we can try to be a little louder. <laughs> yeah, let me... Uh, I'll come back around. You can keep talking. Oh, I'm okay. Here, so. Oh, we're turning... For turning fans off, so hopefully that will help. If we still have any issues, uh, I apologize. Trying to make a little sound barrier here. All right, so we are having lots of fun. We are the home of professional podcasting. So professional. Just trying to make it. If everything doesn't move, we should be okay. All right. Nobody move. Nobody breathe. All right, hopefully that helps a little bit for the people watching on Facebook. Uh, we'll try to increase our volume. Talk with confidence. We will shout. Shout. Let, Let it, it all, all out. out. <laughs> These are not the things that I can do without. No. Come on. <laughs> Even threw in an 80s pop culture reference for today. So, so anyway, you were saying. I don't know. I was, you were getting into the verse itself. Oh, well, yeah, we're, we're looking at, at Acts chapter 18, the first uh, 17 or so verses. Yeah, 17 verses. And uh, what we see happening is uh, Paul has left Athens after uh, a period of debate there uh, and, and overcoming some uh, some biases that become obstacles for the faith for a lot of us because it really is a matter of repentance not merely of reason and so after as he regularly does showing the reasonableness of faith which he does in the synagogues with the jewish people um, who who already accept the scriptures he reasons from the scriptures of why jesus is the messiah and the resurrection resurrection is the fulfillment of that and we need to find salvation in him uh, and then he, he goes on to the um, the academic world, if you will, in Athens, and they wrestle with the philosophies there, and he, and he reasons from more of a secularist point of view to, to use more of a parallel to where we are today. Um, not that they didn't believe in gods, many gods, but they're the gods of uh, the gods of Greece in this time. Uh, were almost more philosophical than anything else. And, and I don't want to overstate that. I don't have time to develop that thought a whole lot. But um, they're coming from that educational uh, perspective that today we would recognize as a secularist kind of thing. So uh, there was an intellectual bias that they had. There was a spiritual complacency that, that they uh, that the Jews had faced. There's a spiritual laziness that, that many faced where we just don't do the digging to actually put thought into it. I, I actually think that's a struggle we have have today in, um, in evangelical circles is we're not really evangelical. The things that have made evangelicalism what it is over the centuries uh, from the time it began back in, you know, in earlier uh, times in the post-Reformation period, um, it, it was all about study, uh, reaching out with the gospel, digging deep into it. That, those were basic tenets of what it meant to be evangelical, and that set uh, evangelicals within Christendom apart from just people that went to church and, and mm -hmm. claimed Christ and were baptized and so on. And so I, I feel like today in American evangelicalism, we have become so consumer oriented that that we just don't dig we, we don't put time in right. we're we're the opposite of the bereans we don't study the scriptures to check truth we read an author who says something that tickles our itching ears and we're like oh yes that's great i'm gonna i'm gonna follow that teaching from that book or you know this 
prominent preacher said something on television or radio or whatever, and, and I'm going to follow them, or my pastor says something, and I'm just going to ride with it, rather than actually looking at the scripture. And so that's one of the things that I really want to encourage at real life. And, and here with the podcast, I want to encourage anybody who's listening to something real, always, always, always test what you're hearing from us or anyone else against the scriptures. What does the Bible actually say as we look at it in a natural reading? Uh, the, the things that are there become clear. We get to be able to then dig a little deeper in context and and, uh, and see some more to it. But the Bible's not meant to be confusing. God didn't give it to us to hide from us so that we have to dig and find some it's not special... secret codes. Right, or... yeah. That, that, <laughs> that special knowledge idea, that's part of the Gnostic heresy that's been uh, chasing the church since the earliest days. And, and we still deal with that today. So we need as... As Christ followers, uh, particularly as those who would call ourselves evangelical, which is awkward today because it's become such a political word. It really has nothing to do with politics, but it's become that today. Um, we need to be people of the book. We need to be people who, who rest on reason, who demand evidence, who think things through to their logical conclusions. And when we do that and we put down deep roots, then we end up where we see Paul when he gets to Corinth. And so he gets to Corinth. He, he meets uh, this Jewish couple, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, that uh, strangely enough, it does not tell us that they're believers and it does not tell us that they're converted. We don't see that story. It's one of the, it's a, it's like a unicorn here in the book of Acts. But uh, but we do see that that uh, they become or are Christians ministering with Paul. They actually, uh, we'll see next week, that they actually go and, and teach prominent preachers uh, with more depth. But he runs into them. Uh, I think I think they convert to Christianity. They, they receive Christ during his stay with them. Uh, that's my speculation, but, but I think it fits uh, what we're reading. Uh, he goes and he, he preaches in the synagogue and it doesn't go well. So he says, shine you guys, I'm going next door. And he uh, goes to a, a receptive person there and kind of sets up a house church sort of deal where they're meeting and they're reasoning through the scriptures next to the synagogue instead of in the synagogue. Um, but Corinth is this horrifically licentious place. I mean, it, it's like New York and Las Vegas kind of rolled up into one. And and all the debauchery that you can imagine is prevalent and flowing money. Everybody's prospering. Everybody's doing well. Uh, well, I, I say everybody. It's never everybody. So the, the those who are doing well are doing really, really well. And uh, without question, in a, in a very big port city, you're going to have uh, the poor who are the outcasts. And they're not doing well. They're on the opposite end of it. But with every social issue that you can think of, it's all here. It's all present. Uh, that The things that we're dealing with today, they're dealing with in Corinth. And so we don't read that Paul is feeling overwhelmed yet. But God knows what he's doing. So maybe he is, and Luke doesn't tell us that. Maybe he is, is going to or would be, and God is preemptively saying, hey, I got a message for you. And God's message to Paul in a vision is, uh, and this is from verse 9, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So we read that he stayed for a year and a half and, and he teaches them the word of God there in Corinth. But then 
the next paragraph talks about when Gallio becomes proconsul of Achaia, of Achaia, not Achaia, that's a different thing. Um, Achaia, Swedish, by the way. Achaia is the, I keep wanting to say Achaia. Uh, Achaia is the, the region here, the province that Corinth is in. Um, and so when he's there as a proconsul on, on behalf of Rome, uh, the Jews then mount a united attack. God just said they're not going to attack and harm you. Well, here they do attack. And yet God uses this unbelieving proconsul, this uh, Roman uh, governor, if you will, uh, who is in charge, to deliver Paul. They come, they're bringing these false accusations against him. Paul doesn't even get to defend himself. He, he starts to, and before he can even open his mouth, Gallio's like, get out of my courtroom. You don't belong here. You don't bring me your religious squabbles. If it's a real crime, then fine. Otherwise, get out. So they turn on the synagogue leader who ostensibly brought this whole thing about and, and led them into it. They turn on him, beat him up in basically in the courtroom in, the, in front of the proconsul. And Gallio just was like, whatever, and I'm moving on. I'm going to go get some Burger King. He has no regard for it at all. So that's where we kind of leave the story. And what we're seeing here is that God is keeping his word to Paul even when they when they try to attack, God keeps them from the harm. So when God tells him these things, it would be really easy for Paul to give up on that because mm -hmm. the perception is, I'm having no impact here at all. This, this massive city, there's, I can't even make a dent here. And, and I go to the, to the synagogue where the Jews, they, they have the scriptures. They should be able to believe it. They don't believe it. Some do. <clears throat> and so he finds that there, uh, there are some where, where it's taking root. But it would be very easy to feel overwhelmed and give up. Then God says they're not going to attack and harm you. And after, at some point here in this year and a half or you know, at that point, they do attack. Well, he's probably feeling like most of us would feel, wait a minute, God, you said this wasn't going to happen. Well, he said they're not going to attack and harm you. Lots of people are going to try and do lots of things. And so God protects him through this and keeps attacks from happening that he doesn't intend to use. But here, this is an attack that God is going to use for his own glory in Paul's protection. And, and it sort of quiets things when they bring this accusation and the governor says, get out, get out. I just thought of your mom. Uh, that now, hey, we're going to turn on the leader. Don't Put us in this situation again. So Paul doesn't seem to be persecuted again for a while. Again, persecution will come back. All of these things will come back in force later. But, uh, but God is keeping his word. And it becomes important for Paul. Uh, and it, it actually becomes the theme of his life. He, he, he never forgets this principle. And we see it throughout his letters. We see it in the remainder of the book of Acts. When the dark times come, and they do come, much worse than anything he's faced, he never forgets that my hope and my peace are not based on my feelings. They rest on God's promises, not on my perceptions. And we forget that a lot of the time. And so we end up struggling in our faith and, and falling into anxiety and doubt and, and so on. And those things are always going to come. It, they come regularly for the New Testament believers, which is why Paul continues to encourage the church. He goes back after he, he gets done. This is kind of the end of his second missionary journey. He goes back to Antioch. First, he goes up to Jerusalem. We'll see this in the next passage. He goes up to Jerusalem. Then he comes back to Antioch, the, the sending church, spends time there. 
But then he jumps out right away again after spending some time in Antioch. He goes back to the churches here, goes back to Ephesus, goes back through these places to strengthen them. Why? Because we fall away. We, we wrestle with doubt. As, as Christians, we're still humans. It's not like you receive Christ and you become a robot and check your emotions and, and you know, you check your brains. You know, you're going to follow Christ. So, you, you know, now we throw away all sense of science and logic and, and reason. Uh, and then we also, you know, check our emotions. Now we can't have any feelings. Everything is easy. That's not how any of this works. And so Paul continues to go and encourage the churches. And one of the things he encourages the churches to do is to encourage one another. Mm-hmm. The, his, his letters bear that out. They're replete with this idea of bear one another's burdens, strengthen one another, dig deep into the scriptures. Ephesians 4 is all about, the, the first half of that chapter is all get deeper, get more mature, grow in your doctrine, grow in your understanding of the word. And as you do that, we all grow more united because we grow closer to Christ. And if, if we can get to this place where we recognize that our faith is not in a religion, it's not in Christianity as a, as a whatever, as a religion, as a worldview, as a, uh, a category in your demographic research, we're clinging to Christ, not to some formula, but we are recognizing him as reality which is what drives the book of Acts. These are, are folks that, that are largely, especially those who are, are, are taking the church forward, were eyewitnesses mm-hmm. to his resurrection. And they're living as eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Even Paul, who sees him uh, after his resurrection as he appears to him on the road to Damascus. It changes things when you recognize this isn't something I'm trying to believe. This isn't something I'm trying to get get my mind wrapped around. It is truth. Just like I don't spend a lot of time wrestling with, oh my gosh, how does gravity work? It it is. You know, I, I can study that in a science class and, and so on, but I don't spend a lot of time stressing about it because I know if I jump up, I will come down. It it it's reality. But we don't seem to do the same thing with what we claim to be our most important, um, strongly held beliefs. We, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, sort of. I mean, we believe it, but we believe it as a religious, intellectual exercise, something that we muster up in ourselves, not something that we recognize as more real than gravity, than, than mm-hmm. this earthly existence that we see. And I think a, a, a big problem with that is, I don't know if this is just a Western culture thing or just a human thing, but it's very easy, even if you are a believer, to want more so to, quote unquote, fix yourself, yeah. uh, fix your own problems. I can do this. I'm strong enough. I can use things like self-help books or podcasts, or whatever, but I'm the one doing it. Yeah. I'm making these whatever. And... Maybe more so as Westerners. I mean, I can't right. speak for, for other parts of the world, but, and I'm not but I think that's that really just, part of our dynamic. Here. Right. And I'm not saying you just are supposed to sit there and twiddle your thumbs and say, God, do this for me. Right. Um, scripture doesn't say that either. Right. But there's a difference in that. There's a yeah. difference between your own uh, understanding and your and, and giving it and letting things go, essentially. Yeah. Letting it go. Now, that might mean you have to take certain actions, right. but 
you're not doing it with your own strength, right. quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, and you know it is a temptation then to to have that pendulum swing the other way, right? So that you know my letting it go becomes my laying on the floor waiting for God to right. to magically make things better, to either to fix my circumstances or to change my thinking or to take me away. But that's not the picture that we have of discipleship. the The idea of discipleship involves as you can see from the root, discipline. Mm -hmm. I have to make choices. So when Jesus calls his disciples in the Gospels, he doesn't just say, believe in me. His call to each one of them, every time he sees them, follow me. Come follow me. Because believing is one thing, but there's more. Believing begins the relationship. Just like when I married my wife, I made a choice I chose her. Mm -hmm. She chose me. I don't know why, but she did. So we get into it and we enter into this relationship, but that's just the beginning. Now, three decades later, we're still walking together and growing closer. And if we are alive to be married 70 years, we'll still be growing closer because we're walking this life together. I've referenced it, I think, every time we've had a podcast since I've been doing this Wednesday study in Pilgrim's Progress. But that's the nature of what Bunyan is trying to get across in the Pilgrim's Progress, is yes, there is salvation when we enter through that, that narrow gate. We, we come to Christ, but there is an ongoing journey. We're not done yet. We're not home yet. So until we get home, we continue to wrestle with all sorts of things, dangers, toils, and snares. We continue to wrestle with fears and doubts and, and you know uncertainties and anxieties and worry that come to us. We don't control that, but we have to recognize the voice of truth. And those things that are whispering those, those negative thoughts, that, that's demonic influence, that's our own... Um, habits that we've built up over the years. It's the influence of the world around us. All of these things conspiring to drag us into those negative thoughts. And when I say negative thoughts, I don't mean just recognizing that there are bad right. things, but in thinking things that are not true. Think, it's almost that, like a negative self-talk type it's thing. It's very much that. That's a huge part of, of how the devil works these things. But it, it's when I have thoughts that are counter to the truth of God's word, that's not from God. Mm -hmm. Well, if I don't want to be thinking thoughts that are counter to the truth of God's word, and it didn't come from God, and it didn't come from me, well, where do I think it came from? Some other external force whispering in my ear. There's a picture in, uh, in the edition that we're reading right now. It's chapter four, but uh, other editions don't have chapter markers in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there, that um, Pilgrim is going through, he's just gotten through this the valley of the shadow of death and it's dark and it's dangerous and it's terrible and, and, and everything. And he gets on the other side of it, or he's you know at near the end of it, and he's lost the ability in this moment to distinguish, to, to recognize the sound of his own voice. Hmm. And so Bunyan in his dream sees this demonic being whispering in his ear and Christian thinks, it's his own thoughts. It's like Blasphemy the old cartoons God. where you have the little devil on right. your shoulder. Yeah, only much less recognizable. Right. So, you know, a little guy comes to you with a pitchfork, you know, right. and all that. You're like, you oh, recognize, hey. <laughs> I, I don't think I want to listen to right. this dude. But that's not how it works. Right. So the enemy poses then as our own thoughts, 
accusing us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. So he is constantly working for unbelievers to get us to believe that we don't need to repent, that we don't need uh, God's uh, grace, that there's nothing wrong with us. I'm okay, you're okay. You know, we're good enough and smart enough and doggone it, people like us. And there's nothing that we need to change. Then as believers, he's going to work really hard for most of us to get us to believe that we can't possibly be forgiven. We've done too much. We've gone too far. You know, God's grace isn't going to, to cover this. And in fact, uh, one of my grandfathers, um, as far as I know, uh, left this planet without a relationship with Christ for that very reason. It's not that he didn't know the gospel. It's not that he didn't recognize that he was a sinner. He believed that he was too big, uh, his, that he was too big a sinner for God's grace to cover him. And he therefore would not receive the gospel. As as Christ followers, the devil wants us to believe that even though we've received Christ, even though we've come into this relationship, isn't it kind of pointless for him to do that? Or is he just trying to get his kicks? You know, I mean, well, that if he if he he knows that that well, he hates us. Well, sure, and he wants to destroy us, and he can't take us out of God's hand, right? So what's the next best thing you can do? While we're here, torture us? And, and paralyze us. <laughs> right. So if I'm caught up, pain is inherently selfish. Mm-hmm. If I smash my thumb with a hammer, I'm not thinking any higher level thoughts. There's no self-actualization going on. I'm not thinking about the welfare of the, of the people around me. I'm not thinking of great economic principles. I'm thinking, ow, that really hurts, right? So it becomes innately inward focused. Right. Whatever pain I'm dealing with, sadness, depression, despair, hopelessness, worry, anxiety, fear, anger, all of these things hunger. become <laughs> hunger, <laughs> become very inward focused. Right. It's about me. Right. Well, that's, that's how I feel. That's it's what how, right. we describe as selfishness, right. usually when we're talking about somebody else because we wouldn't want to call ourselves selfish. But that's, that's what happens. So as, as the devil gets us caught up in those things... If I'm inwardly focused, what am I not doing? I'm not loving and ministering and serving anybody else. He's very good at it. He's been doing it for 6,000 years. <laughs> it's he's, practice. You know. And so as we're going through it, he can't take us out of uh, out of God's hand. Nothing can snatch us from him. Mm-hmm. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But that, gosh, he can make things difficult while we're here. And if he can make us believe that, then we're stuck. Mm-hmm. Then we just sit. And, and we sulk and we don't do any good for the kingdom while we're here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we're less God's child. It just means we're not obeying. We're not functioning according to the purpose that he's created us for. So, for example, if and, and we've said this before, if one of my children uh, stops believing that they're my child, they don't stop being my child. If they get hit in the head, like on every soap opera, and have amnesia for a year, and they wander around the country not knowing who they are, that doesn't change the fact that they're still my child. But it does change how they act, how they believe, how they how they function in the world because they've forgotten who they are. Far too often we have spiritual amnesia as Christians, and we remember our past, who we used to be, because the devil keeps reminding us of that, but we forget who we are. And that's why discipleship becomes super important when we get past our feelings and we begin to dig and to to learn not just to learn words but to learn the discipline of living a life of following christ i see these words in scripture 
I hear these deceiving voices in my head and I make an actual choice. I will reject these deceiving voices because I know that they're lies. It doesn't feel like they're lies. This sounds like truth. It feels like truth. But I know because I trust that the word of God is true. I know that these counter thoughts, the, all these uh, these accusing thoughts, these things that are telling me I'm not God's child or I'm paralyzed or God doesn't love me or I've done too much, all of these things, I can recognize those and say, no, I will reject that and I will receive what God says in his word. And theoretically, that's going back to kind of what you said at the beginning when you were talking about, you know, other preachers or even things that you talk about or we talk about. It's very easy to do that because it's laid out for you in black and white, the truth. Right. Not always easy to, you know, totally feel that way when you're in one of those those modes where it's just so hard to ignore that voice. Yeah, that that's, voice. that's the kicker, I think. But... That is the ultimate solution to this. Weigh it out yeah. against what God says. And if it's not in line with that, right. see ya. It's really not usually a matter of understanding. There are right. there are things that you know we, we need that's why God gives pastors and, and evangelists and teachers to be able to bring us along in, in the faith. But most of the time, it's really not a matter of understanding. It's a matter of choosing. Hmm. It's not about reason as much as it's about repentance. I have to recognize that according to this reasonable faith that we see, the logic of a God who created the universe, who has demonstrated his faithfulness, has shown his character, he is God, I am not. And when I wrestle with these things and I come to grips with that according to reason, I still have to choose to repent, to stop going my way and turn and follow him. Now, repentance is not a one-time deal. So a lot of times we you know, get confused about that. And so if we pray a prayer, we think that's repentance. And it might be in the moment, but I have to continue to live a lifestyle of repentance for that repentance to, to take hold, right? So I can repent on, on one level that says, you know, I've lived for myself, I, 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 this isn't working, my sin separates me from God, I recognize that Jesus is the only way, he died in my place for my sins, and he rose to life, and I'm going to trust in that truth. And, and that's a, a repentance that changes my identity. So now for the first time, I go from being physically alive and spiritually dead, to being physically alive, but decaying physically, and spiritually alive. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm born again in Christ. But now I have to maintain in my own mind the discipline of repenting regularly. It's a different level of repentance, a different type of repentance. And so it's not that I have to keep repenting every day, right. you know, you know, and if I mess up, I have to go get baptized again. Right, to, right, right. That's not it at all. But what it is, is because of who I am now, I don't want to live for me anymore. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. Of course we're going to mess up. Every t- every one of my five children, when they were learning to walk, stumbled a right. lot. And when they were riding, doesn't their mean bikes. they don't get up and walk again. Right. You know. So and we and we can't freak out about that. That's mm-hmm. how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Every time they were riding their bikes, they would fall and get scraped up, and you know, some of them would end up in the emergency room. But that's another story. You've met my kids, anyway. Uh, but they keep going. That's part of the process. And, and you also can't on the other end of this, and we, you can't hold your. I don't want to say this the wrong way. You can't hold yourself to a standard of perfection that says, if I mess up, it's over. Right. And, and again, look at it in, in a physical, practical way in our lives. What happens if I try to learn to ride a bike, 
I fall over. That's it. Right. I, I, I can't do this. I can't. So I never learned to ride a bike. Right. Small consequences, but the same dynamic. Right. I, I, swimming is hard. I I got water in my face. I'm never going to learn to swim. I don't know how to swim. <laughs> I've tried for 20-some years. I've tried. I, I got a John Wayne clip I'll show you later. Oh, golly. But, <laughs> but, I just don't float. But there's... I can identify. <laughs> the, the reality of all of these things is if we... If we let those feelings keep us from becoming who we already are, or or who we're meant to be, right? Then we're paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So that's the devil's end game here: is if I can't, I can't make you unsaved. I can't right. end this relationship, but I can make you stuck. I can make you paralyzed, where you're right. you're not getting back on the bike, you're not going back in the water, you're not going to deal with this again. I you know I I messed up. Washing the laundry, and I, I ran a, a, a red, red shirt red, with whites. Right. Oh, everything's, no. everything's pink. I'm never doing laundry again. Right. right. It's the same mentality. But as and a the, result, you're not just being stuck. You are being prevented from sharing the gospel with others. Exactly. And that's, I think, his... So now other people right. who need to hear the gospel so that they can be saved don't hear it from you. Right. And praise God for his sovereignty that, that he is working all things out for his glory and our good. But I don't want to be that kid sitting in a mud puddle folding my arms saying, oh, I can't do it. I'm not going to ever get up. I'm not going to ever try this again. That's not a healthy place to be. We don't have to be there. That's not who we're meant to be. It's not who we're made to be. That's not the the spirit that, that Christ has given to us. But we do have to choose mm-hmm. to discipline ourselves, to follow him. It's hard. It's scary, but I have to trust the the promises in God's word over my perceptions of the situation, over my feelings, over my doubts, over the nagging thoughts that keep plaguing me, telling me, you're, you, nope, you're not good enough. You must not be saved or you must not be meant to, you know, you can't share the gospel. You know, I, I'm not a good speaker, so I can't tell other people about it. Uh, People will judge me that I don't know the Bible well enough, so I I don't want to go to that Bible study because it'll show how ignorant I am. Well, guess what? You're never going to know more if you don't do what you're meant to do. Uh, You know, people don't, I don't have a a social life, so I'm just going to hide out and isolate. Well, guess what? You're never going to have a social life. So God has given us the church for relationships. We're here to do life together. But if I pull away from that, I'm actually disobeying God. If I don't engage with my fellow believers as fellow believers, then I'm going to be still in the same spot all the time of paralysis, like like a slave who's been freed but doesn't know what that means. And so they still are convinced by this slave owner, you still belong to me. Right. You still belong to me. And they buy it. So they live like a slave. That's not who we were meant to be. It, it, there, again, in the Pilgrim's Progress, there's a picture uh, when um, Christian on his journey encounters Apollyon the Destroyer. And uh, this is where did you come from? I came from the city of destruction. Oh, well, that's my territory. I'm the king there. You actually belong to me. How dare you leave me? And this whole attack is you really don't belong to God. You don't belong to him. You belong to me. This is where you should be. Just turn around and come back and all will be forgiven and it'll be fine because this is who you're destined to be anyway. Mm -hmm. It's a lie. And the only thing that allows him in that battle in Bunyan's book is that it allows him to overcome 
is the word of God. And in the midst of it, in the heat of the battle, when everything is bad, he drops his sword, which represents the sword of the spirit, the word of the Lord. He drops his sword. When we get overwhelmed and hammered, it's easy for us to drop the scriptures, to to let go of the promises of God and hold on to our feelings in the moment. And the only way he's able to get through it is somehow to power through. He hears a voice somewhere saying, you know, this is the word of the Lord. And he gets his sword in his hand and he deals a death blow or what appears to be a death blow. We need to cling to God's word and the difficulties make that hard, but it's no less necessary. I didn't watch the time as well as I should have because we are over, but I feel like there's a lot more to talk about, but our Facebook stream is about to die and I need to stop this. So uh, we will stop there for today. Please, if anybody has any questions or any uh, comments, let us know. You can send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. You can leave us a Facebook message. You can call the church, which the number is. 269-756-RLCC. Easy enough. Uh, Thank you guys for listening and we will catch you next time.